my pronouns are USA. How about it, huh? My name is Ted Cruz, and my pronouns are kiss my ass. My pronouns are kiss my ass. My personal preferred pronouns are fried chicken and collard greens. And my pronouns are patriot and ass kicker. My pronoun is American. I don't know about you. <laughs> That's right? a good one. And my pronouns are I won. My pronouns are he and hall, so I'm not really sure. <laughs> First of all, my pronouns are he and hall, so I would like for you to address me that way for now. <laughs> my pronouns are Bible believer, Jesus lover, gun carrier. My preferred pronouns are Brad and Pitt. My pronouns are Bud and Light. My pronoun is what the f***? <laughs> I'm a conspiracy theorist. My pronouns are told you so. I identify as a conspiracy theorist, and my pronouns are I told you so. Right. My name is Larry. My pronouns are please God and make it stop. Respect my pronouns or I will stab you. Welcome to Something Came From Baltimore. My name is Tom Gallagher. I am your host normally. We chat about music. We're on episode 10 of 14, limited run edition called Kinda Furry, Kinda Now. Laura Green is an associate professor of anthropology at Stockton University in New Jersey, where she has taught since 1986. She is the founder and chair of the LGBTQ Youth Safe Space Initiative at Stockton University and is an advocate for local LGBTQ community and the author of Drag Queens and Beauty Queens, Contesting Femininity in the World's Playground. We had fun getting to know each other and it seems like we have shared experiences but different results. Music is by D-Light from the 1990 epic called World Click. Songs are by Bobby Short and you can binge, you get ahead of the releases this link is in the show notes and it's found everywhere. Let's get into it. relationship stuff because you veer off of it so fast so I always <laughs> <laughs> I want to get it in at the beginning which is you know and it's not it's just more of an observation yeah. when I when I was coming out I saw elder like like gay people and I would say do you do you ever think you're gonna be in a relationship and they're like no do, do you ever want to be in another relationship they're like no 
And, and I was like, why? Love is love. Don't you want to be a part of it? And they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I now understand like why they were saying that. It's it, it be the, by the levels of the complexity of it is that sometimes like your peace of mind is used solo and, and it would be hard to throw another person into that dynamic with, with all the baggage that we were talking about before in previous conversations. But do you re- remember, like I now understand mm. like women, women who never marry who just uh, you're like oh poor woman she's never married blah 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 she's probably the happiest person in the world that's <laughs> probably right um yeah i mean i think i'm a really difficult person at this point in my life to partner with because i'm i'm extremely independent um i like to be able to do um you know what i want at this point in my life when i want I don't want to really, I don't really have the energy for negotiating anymore. Um, I, you know, but it, again, if it came along and it fell in my lap and it was right, you know, I, I'd be, I wouldn't be unhappy. I'm just, I'm just think at a certain age, you sort of stop looking some of us, you know, and you just realize, you know, I've got a ton of friends and that's great. Like I love my friends are my family. I, I adore them. And, uh, you know, they fulfill most of my needs, <laughs> you know, except for one big one, really. Um, you know, all my needs are, can be fulfilled by my friends. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, 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 it becomes a thing where how much energy and time am I going to invest in this thing that I don't even know I need? Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think that that's where it sort of goes. Now, for me, I mean, obviously testosterone level dropped. So my interest level dropped and. You know, I want to be a, a A1 performer. I, I'm probably graded a C minus or D. So, <laughs> you know, it, it was like, so okay. hard on yourself. <laughs> no, it's, well, there's a story. Uh, I yeah. love telling stories because the community is so small mm-hmm. that it was told to me by someone who I, well, it was told to me by a friend of mine, by a person I've never met before that like there was times that I had performance, uh, issues and um that the so so someone like went to that person told that story about me and then that person went and told has been telling that story religiously for the last like 11 years so well that's not doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to that i mean well because they're gossipy and i no, like <laughs> there's it's none of their business but yeah. you know people act like it is so for that reason I don't just have to like connect with a partner. I got to connect with a, a wide audience that are sitting on the sideline, make sure that they know that I'm hitting home runs every single time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people, I, you know, I never understand people who are deliberately cruel. I just, I will never get it. You know, I mean, we all do things, we all make mistakes, we all hurt people, but most of us don't mean it. You know, we don't try to do that. And, um, uh, it's always interesting to me when somebody feels like they have to do that, you know, like saying something nasty about somebody or undermining somebody um, is a very interesting behavior to me. And I can only imagine that the reason they do it is because they're very unhappy, you know, and so it's like you want to spread that unhappiness around. You, you don't like somebody that looks like they're happy. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they become a threat to you, even if probably they're not happy all the time. But, you know, they become a threat to you because you're not they're not. And, um, 
and it's it's sad because I I do see a lot of it in our community, and you know I always say there's no drama like gay drama, you know, because there's it's like, and it's a shame um, that that has to be the case. And yeah. I do think it's because we're very small and we know each other and, you know, we've all had some sort of interaction or relationship with one another by and large. And, and, um, you know, I, I feel like maybe some people think there's some sort of competition going on, you know, and I, I, I think that's always interesting in any kind of relationship because nobody wins those, you know, there's never a winner, but I feel like there's some people that think there is a winner. And that's sort of how they go about um, managing their relationships with people. And uh, I don't like it. I don't like it because I don't like competition in general. I mean, period. That's just my part of my personality. But I also truly don't think a relationship can possibly be a competition. And anybody, everybody involved not turn out to be the loser in that case. That's, you know? that's a new concept, though, you know, about relationships and winning and losing. Like, no one... If someone wins, then that means someone loses and you're trying to have a conversation or negotiate some stuff that, that like that just opened up. Like I've just heard that actually by Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, where he said, I never, I never fought with Terry because that means that someone would lose. We're a partnership and we're trying to get to the next point. And I was like, wow, that's profound. I don't know if he wrote both, uh, he created that, but I love Jimmy Jam. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's great. I mean, that's not, that sounds like a healthy relationship to me. I had never heard it put that way either, yeah. but um, yeah, it's not a competition. It's supposed oh. to be a mutual aid society, you know, <laughs> that's really what it's supposed to be. Um, but, you know, again, we were talking about this early on, but I think, you know, we all have a sense of being inadequate in some way. And I think sometimes we, when we have those feelings, we, we blame our partners you know, we take it out on our, some of what we see it as projected as one as a failing of our partner rather than our own problems with our, you know, self-esteem or feelings of security or, or, you know, feelings of being enough, you know, and, and I do think that's why people fight. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think in the gay community, what brought to my mind is something that I, I say all the time is like, I, I'm, I would used to be um, Chumley's uh, singer's ex and he's from Philly. He's kind of like a pillar over there. He created gay bingo actually, um, back in the nineties, like and made money off of it for the AIDS fund, you know? So, uh, he always told me that the gay people always feel that they could do it better. Like I, like when it comes to arts and stuff that, well, I could do this better, but they're not putting themselves out. You know, it's easier to cr criticize <laughs> because they could do it better. Like I, when I did the visible, uh, one, uh, a female who I knew said, you know, you need to have a, a, um, a girl's be visible, like a lesbian version of be visible. And I said, no, I don't need to, but you can, you can do this and I'll support you. I said, um, I don't need to create another thing to make you happy, but if you want to create one, you know, let's do it. But, you know, it's that thing where a lot of people are just really critical. Because they, in their back of their mind, they're like, I could run this better. I could do this better. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, they will still step up to the plate. And I like when I see that, but the, the critique of it instead of the support when they're, you know, that, that's the one person that's doing something, you know, <laughs> a small group of people that are trying to do something. Yeah. 
and uh, and you have to catch hell from it, you know, um, because it's not exactly what somebody else had in mind. That's, I mean, that's just unfortunate, you know. And um, but again, I think um, you know, big fish, little fish bowl. You know, I I do think that there's some of that going on, and some to some people, you know, social um, capital and power is is really important, mm-hmm. and. Um, and I think that there, some of that picking on other people is, is about gaining that social capital. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> like I'm thinking at, like I, I was, I knew that I was gay young, but I also knew that my life had to have some kind of value. Like what kind of value will I create? So like I, like I need people to realize, okay, I'm not probably doing the, the marriage and the kids thing, but I'm going to be socially active or I'm going to, do this like like I, I think that the importance of like gay people's work or or their events that they're in are heightened because you know that that's what becomes a part of who they are like this is who I am instead of I'm Tom Gowker but I also do x y and z you know and I enjoy it as opposed to like you know the work is more important and I think that dominates it a lot of people who work in at in the at the white house and at the Capitol are gay, like tons of them because they're willing to sacrifice their life to attach all this to it. So I'm, I'm definitely um, generalizing, but like, that's a great position for, for someone who wants to uh, do what I had said, like they connect their job to their, the importance of who they are. Yeah. I, I used to think that was, a man thing, but I, I think it's a woman thing now too, what you're talking about, the sort of um, identifying with what you do as who you are, you know? Um, it's funny because I was talking to a friend about this and I I know somebody um, who I can't quite figure out why I don't like them a lot. I mean, I like them enough, but something's niggling about them. And I realize it's because they they walk around saying, I'm a blank, in this case, dancer, like, I'm a dancer, I'm a dancer, I'm a, instead of like, I dance. (laughs) And, and it's an interesting, when you, when you sort of make what you do, who you are, it it says interesting things about how you perceive yourself, you know? Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, if I say I'm an anthropologist, it's a little bit different than if I say I, I do anthropology or I study cultures or, you know, it's, it just makes you more, I guess your status more pronounced in that, in having that, you know, identity as that occupation, I guess. But it, it, there is a weird sound to it sometimes <laughs> that, but yeah, I, and I think women do it now too. I, I think you know, when I was younger, it was mostly men who would attach themselves to their jobs, probably because they had better jobs. But yeah, I see it all over now. And it is, and I think it's an American thing too. Yeah. I well, think- I, have a, I have a theory. Can I do a theory? Yeah. Okay. People were, were making money. And then when that housing thing crashed, I guess in 2007, 2008, 2009, um, if you notice, like people, afraid of losing their jobs because the housing market was crashing. But I noticed the stock market um, increased, like people above were making money. 
And I was like, how's this working where we're devastating like the uh, middle America right now? Like just devastating them. And they're making profits. And I kind of watched the stock market as it went through. And it's the scare tactic that still works now in, in, in America where like we, we can't have more people to work. You need to work more. You need to work longer. You need to work uh, with more stress. You don't have health care or remember they weren't giving out raises for a couple of years. And people were like, yeah, I got to do what I got to do. I, I can't lose these jobs. So what I always think that people are dancing faster and harder to make things work. And, you know, the, the American dream of this, like kind of creating money has really shrunk and has uh, um, become something different. A lot of people get burned out. Like I, I think I would always attach myself to a career until I didn't have one. And I can tell you, I was depressed for years because I'm like, I'm just a nobody. I'm a retail manager. You know, I was embarrassed to, to say, I just need this job because I, I don't have any other job to go to. Took a really long time to say, okay, well, you know, that's okay. And you need to continue <laughs> your life or, uh, you know, you're always going to have your head down. So that's a really long story. But I feel that that was the breaking point because I've talked to a lot of people who were so scared about losing their job at that time period. And it never ended. Like that fear that's put into America is like, you know, this you can be pulled out at any time and you could be, you know, this this job can go away. Yeah, I, I feel like the tech industry is feeling that right now, you know, um, where it used to be like tech jobs, like you went to school for tech and it was like, you had a job, like you had a career for the rest of your life. And now all of a sudden the tech sort of industry and is shrinking, you know, and all these people that are thought they had a sure thing are now frightened, you know, that their, yeah. that their job sector isn't going to be there anymore. Um, and yeah, maybe that has something to do with why we do it, but like I'm comparing because I've been I've worked in France a number of times this year and right now they're having a strike. I mean the whole country is in uproar because um the president Macron raised or lowered <laughs> raised the retirement age I think to 64 from um, 62 from 62 but even more so the problem really is that there's a minimum years of work requirement um, and I think it's 40. I, I'm not quite sure now what the minimum years are, but that's what people are upset about because a lot of people were, especially women might've been home raising kids or, and they didn't get 40, you know, they might work their whole life, but they didn't get 40 years in, you know, between taking off for, for, um, you know, taking care of family, um, which is usually something a woman's doing rather than a man or just people that were out of work and tried to get a job, but couldn't, you know, and, um, and so they're, what they're really saying is whether we are taken care of or not when we're older should have nothing to do with who we are as workers, you know, and um, you can contrast that to the United States where there's still a lot of people and I hear them, they go, oh, well, you don't deserve health insurance if you don't work. And I'm like, you know, a lot of people work and don't have health insurance, right? Like they don't see it as a right, you know, they see it as a privilege for working, you know, it's one of the, you know, you work and that's why you get it. Um, and it's just such a different way of thinking about the value of work, you know, mm -hmm. and, and if it makes a person or not, you know, if your job makes a person. And uh, I just think it's, it's, it's a 
fairly striking difference between here and at least France and Europe. You know, as I get older, you know, I, I don't have that nest egg, but and it's very concerning as to like I bought this house because I'm like it's cheaper than rent. It's it's definitely going to be money that I can count on, or I can pay this off as fast as I can, so I can not have rent when I when I retire, or if I don't assume I'm going to retire, there's no way I can retire. But even these healthcare packages that you do get, they're junk ones. You know, the, the deductibles are so high and what they cover is so minimal that you, you say, Oh, I have healthcare, but you don't really when you have to pay out like a deductible, uh, $2,000 each year. So if I had something that was, you know, continually a problem, that's 20 K in, in, in uh, 10 years that I'm out because my healthcare won't cover it. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole. <laughs> This is a whole like day of our, you know, just complaining about how bad our healthcare system is. <laughs> I mean, you, know, uh, it, it, you mean I, I'm complaining about it or just yeah, in general? <laughs> I mean, just in general, like I, it really, I had a really profound experience where I realized just how, and I'm just going to say it, pathetic, uh, the way we think about healthcare is when my very, very good friend who lives, lived in Cornwall, she's passed away. Um, she's a single woman. Um, and she had a big farm with horses on it. It's called the yoga farm. And I used to teach for her at her place. And um, she, she got, she never went to the doctor. She was one of those people, a very independent, uh, strong headed person. And then she discovered she had stage four colon cancer. And um, so I was really concerned about her because I know that she's alone, you know, and has this, these big dogs to take care of and all her horses and her farm and this big place that she had. And I called my friend, um, Ed, who lives in London. I said, I'm flying in and we're going to drive down and we're going to go see Liz and make sure she's okay. And I got there to find out that, you know, she had somebody coming three days a week to clean her house. She had somebody coming five days a week to cook for her. There were people taking care of the farm. The They brought the medications to her house and were medicating her, you know, palliatively at the house. I mean, she was being taken care of because that's <laughs> what they do with their healthcare system. And I thought to myself, do you know what I'd be doing the last weeks of my life? I'd be fighting with the insurance company. Yeah. I would be on the phone knowing I had a few weeks left fighting with the insurance company so my kids wouldn't be saddled with a bill, knowing that when I go, that my kids would still be fighting with the insurance company. I can't think of anything crueler, like a less humane situation than people who are dying having to fight with their insurance company, you know, or else being saddled with these you know, these bill, astronomical bills that no one will ever pay off just to die. You know, I, I just, I can't think of anything more insane than that, but people here seem to think that that's normal, you know, and that that's just, yeah, well, we have the best healthcare system in the world. No, we don't. Yeah. It's, it's it's very anxiety. I mean, I'm very anxious about healthcare and and the lack of it or the quality of it. Uh, yeah, that doesn't help your health at all either. Uh, no, right. <laughs> the, I, I know it's like, please don't get sick. But at the same time, I, you know, there are there were talks that I like. This is how I went to multiple doctors. We get different jobs. You get different health care. So I went to multiple doctors. 
one doctor said you have um you have cancer you have they said you have prostate cancer and we're going to do more tests and then they're like well maybe you do or maybe you don't they weren't clear and then i went to another doctor and i said they're saying that i have cancer and they're like yeah you have cancer and then they they did another test they said no it's not include that's not conclusive we'll just keep on watching it and i was like and they're like well you know that you can have prostate cancer for 20 years and and still live like like that's my option really i had a, a friend bill from atlantic city who had stage four brain cancer he found out he had it at stage four and he had all these health problems and always went into doctors and no one ever said oh by the way you know, this is coming up in your test. So the, the stage four just hits you in the face when you're like in the doctor's office every week anyways. And they gave him an option of this 10% treatment that may work. That was so debilitating on his body that he's like, I'll go for it. Like he, he wanted to live, you know, it's like, you know, why wouldn't he want to live? So he went for it. And then it was so painful because it didn't help him at all. And, He's like, wow, I just kind of wasted all this time thinking that I had opportunity of, of living more and it just didn't work out. It just, and then he was hospice driven and he was in his front of his living room. He couldn't go anywhere. So he was just there. It was weird. It was my first person that I saw that, that went to pass and it was, it was new to me, like where I got to kind of witness it. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's always hard. And this is something that, you know, my friends and I talk about as we get older and you start experiencing what you might have seen your parents experience, which is like your friends start dying, you know, and it's really it's 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 horrible. You know, it's a hard thing to um, to wrap your head around to know that it's it's only going to be more, you know, it's going to happen more and more and more. And, you know, when we're obviously when we're younger, we don't think about our mortality in the same way. Luckily, you know, unless we we have we are forced to because we have a friend that dies young, you know, and that's it, we're just never we're never forced to look at our mortality like that. And uh, but yeah, and it will just happen more and more. Right. I mean, it will. And I don't know. I think that's one reason why, um, you know, the AIDS. um epidemic was so profound for me was, um, you know, because we got a sense of that as young people, you know, just having to deal with, with death at such a young age, isn't normal, you know? And, um, and that was one of the things about, about AIDS, which was, was so profound. Yeah. Well, it's like, how could he, uh, uh, stage four brain cancer, handle these bills or not bills there. I hate those ones that get mailed to you saying, this is not a bill. And you're like, what, what is, is it? <laughs> right? Who, and then all of a sudden you get this mammoth, like Excel spreadsheet kind of chart. I mean, I, I, I and, and it's constant billing and you're like, okay, 20% is going to be covered. 80% is going to be covered. You owe this. It's really amazing. It's just, it's mind blowing. And, and then I, I have a, you know, sometimes I have ideas, but I, I don't understand why, like, we have to fight for prescriptions where you have to go get an app and download it and try to figure out 
where the pharmacy is that you go get the best deal. But at the same time, you have to kind of create an account at every single pharmacy. So it's not like you have, you can't go to your corner pharmacy. You have to go to, you have to set up accounts with 20 pharmacies to find the, the best price for you. And, and then. It's absurd. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I was like, well, why, you know, like bodies change the epidemic with, uh, um, that the Sackler family gave out, uh, pills unnecessarily that they were high, high level. Right. Uh, uh, Rush Limbaugh was addicted to it. Uh, please say the name of it. Oxycodone. There you go. Oxycodone. <laughs> so, uh, oxy, is it Oxycontin or Oxycodone? Uh, well, Oxycodone, I think is the drug and Oxycontin, I, I think is the brand, but I'm not certain. Yeah. So it, I, I wonder if you could, I know that they say your, your health thing is, is vital and it's just between you and your doctor, but you know, they're ripping through you and you're lucky if you have 10, 15 minutes before they go to the next person. If there was a database that had all your previous exams, blood works, whatever, and then along with the pills that you're taking and, 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 and then create these algorithms, these AI algorithms that says, okay, for your age and your body and your weight, you shouldn't have these milligrams. You should knock it down. Like sometimes I think that my mom is shrinking. I see her every day. She gets smaller and smaller and, and, but she's still taking these horse pills that, that she was taking years ago. And I'm like, along with the, the pills that have, are newly subscribed to her, she's like doing a cocktail every day. And, and I'm like, maybe they shouldn't be this strong. Like as you get older, your body can't handle that. Like it's like a stress on your body. But the only way that you could really kind of get that is have that drug database where, you know, they're running algorithms and shoots it to the doctor and say, Hey, you may want to cut back their milligrams or send it to the, you know, the person and say, I think you need to cut down on some of your milligram suggestions, you know? Yeah. I think that the problem with our healthcare and I hate to be, like reductionists like this, you know, it, it's just that our healthcare system is a for-profit system. You know, it's, a, it's a business. So now I go to my nose, ear and throat person and they also do plastic surgery. And so does my GYN, you know, my oh. gynecologist does like weight loss and, and skin treatments and, uh, you know, permanent tattooing, you know, and, and permanent makeup, you know, and it's just like, what is this? But they're, they're, if they feel like they're not making enough money giving you care, they add these now adjacent sort of practices. They add on these, these practices that are, um, elective things, you know, that aren't really central to your health. And it's really embarrassing that they're doing that to me. But doctors expect to make a certain amount of money in this country. You know, yeah. and um, and until we stop that, we're never going to have the health care that we should because they're going to care more about the business of medicine than they are about medicine. I I went to uh, this is when I was in Atlantic City and uh, I needed. Uh, I was like, oh, I need a, a shot in my knee uh, cortisone just because I have arthritis. There's definitely nothing wrong with the knee, but underneath the kneecap, there's irritation. And, uh, so I started getting a couple of them and, and the doctor would come in and just his visit, which was all I wanted was a shot. 
he would charge me $125 and it wasn't covered by my insurance. And I said, please, I just need another shot. I don't need to see the doctor. You've already identified that that's what I was going to get. So don't charge me that $125. Please don't make him do a consultation. So I, I've said it over and over and over. And of course, I just got the shot from like a nurse and I still got that consultation fee. They said, this is a part of the service that you elect not to do it doesn't negate the fact that we won't, won't charge you. It's part of what it costs to get a shot. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a part of the full package. You just said that you wouldn't take the full package. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> it's scary, right? It's I was really- like, Oh my God. And yeah, uh, yeah it's rough. Yeah, we're at eight minutes left. And, and before we kind of switch off, I, there was one thing I wanted to talk about, which was no TV, no TV in the house. And yeah. I, and I love the fact that you do that. And I, um, uh, have, uh, a love, hate, more hate about television. Um, I wanted to talk a little more about how you decide not to have a TV in there. All right. You want to talk about it now? <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I really, you know, I think I said before, I really uh, like the quiet when I'm home. And so I don't feel the need to have like TV on or the radio on or anything like that. I think most stuff, now there's a lot of really good TV now. When years ago, when I sort of went, yeah, I do not need a television um, ever. Um, I, you know, there might've been 200 channels on, but there was nothing good on anyway. Um, I'm not a sports fan. I don't watch sports. I guess that's one reason to have a television. If I want to watch something occasionally, a documentary, I, you know, I can always watch it on my computer. Um, and I sometimes do, you know, I, if I find a series on Netflix occasionally, I mean, maybe twice a year, you know, I might binge watch it, um, and, or something like that. So it's not that I don't watch any tv per se i i watch very little but i don't i don't put a tell i don't have a television screen i don't put it on um just for the noise in the house um mostly everything like i said i want to see i can get on demand yeah. you know and that and in terms of movies i'm one of these old-fashioned people i just went yesterday i love going to movie theaters me too uh, when I want to see something, I'd, I'd rather go to the movies. And now I have a theater right near me that I can walk to. So, you know, I'll just go in the middle of the day. Like it was raining yesterday and I went and saw, uh, Chevalier, you know, about the, uh, violinist, the French violinist. How um, was that? It was, I thought it was great. I really liked it. Um, it was between that and Are You There? Got It to Me, Margaret, which was very nostalgic for me <laughs> being yeah. that book was important to me when I was a kid. But um, but I opted for the what I thought was the adult movie. But it doesn't mean I won't go see that because I'll just go because I like I like to watch movies. But in the movie theater, I like it, you know. Um, so I get the whole effects of the film. I think the a lot of people like having the TV on all the time. Just is is that noise that just uh, fills your head? You know, it's always on. And uh, I think that turning it off, like turning it off for me was a big deal. I actually lived in Philly and I took the TV after football season. I put a post-it note and I was in an apartment complex and I said, uh, please do not touch. I'll pick this back up in September. And, and I withdrew, you know, from having that 
TV on where now I can not have it on for days. And if I do, you're, it's like South Park in the background or something. Something's minor, but you know, I get my kind of my, my TV fix from podcasts from, um, from shows. The only two shows I was addicted to that, that ended that I'm not, I'm officially done with being addicted is, uh, uh this is us and better call South. And now wow. that they're, now that they're done, I don't feel like I have to follow anything. And I know that there's so many great things going on and I may choose to pick them up later, but I'm not, I'm like, I know that their succession and some other things that are, people are raving about and, and I, I'm okay not to know about it right now. Yeah. The funny thing is my son is a playwright and he writes also for television. So he, when his series, he did uh, Octavia Butler's Kindred. Um, he was the writer on that. And um, when it came out on Hulu, of course, I didn't have a TV. I was in Europe um, where you can't even get Hulu. <laughs> and and I'm like, how am I going to watch my son's show? And then people are like, Lori, don't you know about a VPN? I'm like, a VP what? You know, I don't like this is how stupid I am about technology. <laughs> and I, I downloaded a, a, a VPN and I got Hulu in Europe and I watched his show, you know, I, my daughter has a subscription, so I just used hers. <laughs> so it was, it was, uh, you know, you find a way to do it, but I do think it's ironic that my son is in television um, and I don't watch any of it, yeah. <laughs> so, but I will, if he writes it, you know, if he's got a major credit on it, I'll, I'll take a look at it. I'll watch it. Um, there, just by growing older, there was a uh, hundred and, one interesting people from time last night, a TV show. And I, I, they have the TVs on at work and they keep on flashing the audience that was in the crowd. I'm like, I don't recognize any of these faces. I don't know any of these people. I said, I feel good. Like, I don't like, this is very incidental that I don't need to follow these celebrities. Like, I don't know who any of these people are that are in this audience clapping or, or talking. I know they were talking about Steven Spielberg. Yeah, I'm an I'm a I always say I'm a pop culture idiot, you know, which is funny because I often write about things in pop culture. Um, but in general, I I don't have a diet where I can stay on top of things, you know, I and I don't have any interest in it. Shockingly, like I've only watched RuPaul's Drag Race a few times. Um, and I, I, I found it pretty uninteresting. So I didn't turn it back on <laughs> shockingly <laughs> for someone that studies drag, you know, um, I guess I like the real thing more than the television version of the uh, sort of real relationships instead of the concocted, uh, reality TV relationships, especially since I knew some of the folks on it and I knew that they were really good friends in real life yeah. and it, you know, it, the way they pit them against each other and stuff is sort of odd. There's uh well, I mean, it, it's a little different now, but, um, you're right. It, it's, uh, you know, I have friends that see the show and they think that that's what a drag show is like. And, and I'm like, no, it's completely different. I said in real life, um, I said there are th this whole RuPaul, uh, you know, industry and it's, uh, you know, that is, a, that's something completely different. Vegas shows and, and, uh, touring uh, RuPaul groups coming around. They're, they're different than what reality is. And uh, it, it's so much better to be with a group of people and laughing and having fun versus like, you know, sitting in a, um, a theater and, and watching a performance. I mean, they're both enjoyable, but I think that I would prefer the one with, a, you know, with, with people. We're down to like what less than a minute. 
Yeah. All right. I'll meet you on the other side then. Yep. Definitely. Okay.
episode 10 is finished. Next episode is episode 11.